Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This programme was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Headscarves and Good Yarns with me, Amal Abdullahi. This show is all about talking about race, diversity and everything in between, all in the hopes of empowering a more empathetic Aotearoa. And today I'm very, very honoured to welcome Peter Chin onto the show. Ooh, morning! <laughs> welcome! Um, so for those of you who don't know, though you should know, <laughs> um, Peter Chin used to be the mayor of Dunedin and one of the first um, or descendants of the earliest Chinese um, immigrants to New Zealand. So, yeah, very important history that you have. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was doing a wee bit of a Google on you to figure out what, <laughs> what you've been doing in life. Um, so why did you decide to become um, mayor of Dunedin, or why did you decide to go for it? Back in 2001, was it? I, I was uh, first elected in 2004 uh, as mayor, but prior to that I'd spent nine years mm-hmm. as a councillor. And I suppose my interest in in um, local government was really an extension of my interest in in community mm. um, matters and and I've had always looked on um, local government as being an extension of community service I'm not sure that that is the situation in today's world but certainly way back uh, historically I, I believe that was the case that uh, that People stood for local councils at a stage in their life when they were uh, perhaps older, Mm -hmm. um, perhaps nearing the age of retirement and wanting to contribute back to the community, Mm -hmm. uh, the the, um, benefits that they'd had during their life. And and I think that was really what motivated me uh, to, uh, to move into local government. No, that absolutely makes sense. If you're representing the people that you've worked with, you've lived with, you know so well over the years. Um, did you find that you were um, a champion for the Chinese community here um, in Dunedin while you were a mayor? And not specifically for Chinese. I mean, mm-hmm. quite, quite clearly, I am Chinese. That's my ethnicity. Mm-hmm. That's my background. I was I was born here. Mm-hmm. I've lived in Dunedin all my life. And I suppose, but it's really a support of the of the, of the whole community, uh, yeah. regardless of, of of I suppose gender, race, um, or economic um, standard. No, yeah, that just that yeah, that does make sense. But the reason why I'm asking is that for me, in my experience, I found that I've always been like the only like Muslim person or the only. Um, African person in my class or whatever situation it may be and so people kind of put me in this box and expect me to be a champion or represent that a specific community so I was just wondering did that ever happen to you when you were um, mayor? Um, not so much when I was mayor but growing up I, I don't think that uh, my experience is any different from yours mm. except that the uh, huge diversity in our ages <laughs> of course, um, but 
I grew up in the 1940s and 50s in Dunedin, and mm-hmm. uh, there weren't that many Chinese here. Uh, and I would I would have been among the very first New Zealand-born Chinese because of just the way that the uh, the Chinese people came to New Zealand and and the restrictions that were uh, that were uh, imposed on the Chinese really meant that there were very few Chinese children born in New Zealand until the the, the outbreak of World War Two, and I was kind of one of the the, the first group of um, uh, of New Zealand-born Chinese. Uh, through that period, so that there, were that there weren't that many in Dunedin. So at school, I was the only Chinese, mm-hmm. uh, or one of very few Chinese. Um, so we, I suppose, we looked different, uh, and uh, and and growing growing up, I've and right through life, I've really in in the things that I have been interested in. In being part of, oftentimes I've really been the only Chinese. So you stand out, just as you say that right. You stand out because of your background. You look mm. different, uh, and the people that the, the, the circles that you move in may may see you as the only the, the only um, ethnically different person. So it was the same same with me. So it, it was the norm, I suppose. With me, so I didn't actually feel any different. Although I suppose, uh, from the, the viewpoint of others, I might, I, I was different, but it mm. wasn't something that I necessarily noticed and took too much notice of. Oh, that's good that you didn't take yeah. too much notice of that. Yeah. Um, did you? Um, because you were like one of the only Chinese people growing up in the nineteen uh, in the forties and the fifties. Yeah. Um, did you experience like any bad? Things like negative experiences, um, things like racism, did that ever come up? Or was it just like, oh, there's Peter, he's different, but that's cool? Uh, yes, I, I think that there was, but it, but it was, you know, from, from, from a kid's point of view, the, the experience of Ching Chong Chinaman and having your own kind of ethnicity pointed out because you were different, I mean, that was... The, the, I don't think there was any malice necessarily attached to it, but certainly um, historically the Chinese you know, were uh, had an unfortunate history mm-hmm. politically because of the there was a tax imposed on Chinese when they came here, and there were and the, 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 there were indignities, I suppose, uh, imposed by legislation which were not imposed on any other race. Um, but that was starting to disappear uh, through the forties and fifties, and and, uh, um, and I suppose the more the more that the, the Chinese, as they well, the, the young Chinese, as as they assimilated into the community, mm. the, the the I suppose the less that prejudice. Became because the reality was that, say, in a place like Dunedin, there aren't that many Chinese. Yeah, and, and, and so and, and so you, you you are in the minority, so you're not a threat to anybody, and and so it's easier to be accepted. Mm. And, and that's probably you know, that's way back then. I think that the situation t- 
today is different in in different communities because when you say go up to Auckland where there there is a huge um, Asian population of very various ethnicities you have Indians uh, Chinese and, and and the Middle Eastern blocks there's there are enough numbers to make the the I suppose the the dominant European race kind of feel a bit different because in Auckland they're not necessarily the in in the majority so it's a matter of how you how society adjusts to the fact that there are there's a multitude of ethnicities the multitude of social issues caused by that mm. and, and how that all molds together uh, and I don't think it's something that I don't think we have in Dunedin quite the, the, the same because of just the different proportions. So that it's Dunedin is a really nice place to be in because nobody feels threatened by anybody else because there aren't enough uh, numbers to be uh, for people to feel discomforted. That is very true. Yeah. Oh wow. That's an answer. That answer was wasn't what I was expecting. I thought. Um, Sorry, I, I ramble. No, no, no. That's okay. No, don't <laughs> apologize for that. No, there's a lot to unpack from that. I didn't. I don't really know a lot about the history of the early Chinese mm. um, immigrants here, so I had no idea about the tax. Mm. Um, so, yeah, what was it like for? Can you tell me a little bit more well, about what, the history? Because that sounds that interesting. The history of the Chinese was that when gold was discovered. In New Zealand, and, it was, and that was in, in Lawrence and Gabriel's, Gabriel's Gully mm-hmm. there. there. There was a gold rush. And it got to the stage where as the gold rush was dying off a little bit, uh, in the about the 1860s, the Dunedin Chamber of Commerce decided that they wanted to invite the Chinese to come in to, to mine for gold, and so they had miners who who were in the Australian gold rush in, in the Ballarat area, etc. To uh, they were invited to come over. So the first Chinese came over here, and as more and more came over, and they were all men, because what all they wanted to do was to come over here, find gold, make money, and go home. Right. Um, and so at first they were welcomed. And then because we were, I suppose, different and, and, and the history of New Zealand was it was supposed to be settled as a white country because uh, this was, was part of England here uh, in New Zealand. Um, and, and so the Chinese, then as, as the numbers grew, they so there was public reaction against them and politically that resulted in the government in, in the endeavour to stop Chinese coming in here imposing a head tax a poll tax which basically in, in those days meant there was legislation passed that you could have one Chinese come into New Zealand mm-hmm. for every 100 tonnes of cargo on a ship because it was all ship, shipping back oh, then. Okay. and in addition that, that person had to pay 100 as a tax, and a hundred pound in the eighteen sixties was 
a hell of a lot of money. That sounds like an insane yeah. amount of money. Yeah, and mm. and so and so that helped restrict numbers, although still they still came in, and um, and that tax stayed for um, until about the nineteen thirties. Although, oh, wow. although it was stopped being collected uh, a bit earlier than that. But in addition to that, there was a language test, uh, and that was not imposed on anybody else, and it was fingerprinting. So that there, were, there, were, there were restrictions placed on the Chinese which didn't happen to in, for, for any other race. And so, so that was the background to the early Chinese coming here but it, and so that in those early days it was only men there were very very few women coming here because the, the the intention of the Chinese in those days was to come here to make money mm-hmm. and go back home again and the Chinese who were he, here came mainly from southern China from the Guangzhou area Oh, okay. That's yeah. closer to Hong Kong, yes. right? Yes, yep. it's kind of over the border mm. from Hong Kong. Um, and it wasn't until the outbreak of World War Two, mm-hmm. with the with the Japanese invasion of China, that New Zealand kind of realised, well, actually, the Chinese on this, we're all on the same side, and so they allowed family re- reunification, so that. Men who were here and who had wives and children back in China could um, bring them over. So, oh, but, okay. But, and there were rules against uh, around that also, uh, because it, uh, they came here on a temporary basis. They had a yearly permit. Mm-hmm. So, so my mother was one of those. Uh, I think it was about two hundred and fifty um, wives who came over. Some with with children, mm-hmm. and uh, and so so the the, the rules within were that she was allowed to stay here for one year, and that that permission was renewed each year, and so I've got letters at home that say from the Labour Department, which is now the Immigration Department, saying, mm-hmm. oh, dear, dear Mrs Chin, this letter is to advise that you can stay here for another year, at the end of which time you may be asked to leave and have take back with you any children that might have been born here. Uh, oh, wow, uh, children uh, that, that were born in stay. New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so my mother kind of had a series of letters which then ended up in 1947. I have this letter that takes pride of place at home. Mm-hmm. My mother saying, this is to advise that you can now stay here permanently. Oh, wow. And that Peter, May, Mabel, Rita uh, <laughs> uh, 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 can also stay. So that, so that in, those, in the six years that my mother came over, they... There were four four children born, and that was the same with a whole lot of Chinese families uh, throughout New Zealand. There, uh, so, so that even though they came, mm. uh, it was very much a, on a temporary basis. So you can imagine just how how fearful it must have been for them to know that right, we're here, but we're not here to stay. 
Yeah, I was uh, just about uh, to comment. Yeah, that must have uh, been uh, such a big relief for yeah. your mum mm. and for your whole family just getting that letter to oh, say you can permanently well, stay. Well, especially when, when you look at that the, you, know, you were born here, you don't know any other home, and suddenly you, you're not here. But how, all that's history now. And, and, what, and there was a wonderful thing that happened in, in 2002 at the time of the Chinese New Year. The, the, the government of the day and, and Prime Minister Helen Clark, the, the government actually apologised to the Chinese people for the imposition of the poll tax on them, saying that although it might have been lawful and legal at the time for them to do what they did, in, 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 in the, the light of the world as it is today, it was not something that should that, that, that could, be, could be condoned at all, and for that they, um, they apologised. And that was a wonderful thing for the descendants of those who paid the poll tax Oh wow, that's a huge moment, that. and, and yeah, and, and I can remember just how emotional uh, certainly I felt about it because uh, I heard stories from my father and um, and those of his generation about just the difficulties that they had when they when they first came here mm-hmm. in terms of just finding the money. Uh, so I'm imagining if people were willing to pay that £100, move over to a whole new country, they were probably expecting to make a lot of money so they could, that was worth that sacrifice. Yes. Um, but was that, did that match the reality of what happened when they came to New Zealand? I think in time it did. Mm-hmm. Because the, the reason why they came in the first place was because of the difficulties in China. Right. That, that, that there was starvation. There was uh, the, the, there was the, the, the conflict, and and basically the, it was looking for a better life. Mm. So it's it's when, when you when you think. Sorry, I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, kind of digressing a whole lot. No, that's but, okay. But when, Please when, go when, on. When you think of people way back in those days. The sacrifices that, that, that they did, they leave a country where they're destitute, but at least they can speak the language. Mm-hmm. They're going overseas to a country that they know nothing about, where they don't know the language. They don't know whether they're ever going to see their family again. They're travelling by ship. There's no mail, there's no email, there's no face time there's mm. no any there's really no way of communication and all you've got is a memory of a face a memory of a, of a voice that kind of uh, of those back home that you may never see again you contrast that to today that right you've come here but you you can contact your folk back where you come from, because you've got email, you've got you, you've got voicemail, you've you've got FaceTime and, and and what WeChat and all those things, and you've got air travel, so so that the communication worldwide, no matter where you are, is simple. Mm. But way back then, 150 years ago, when 
when I spoke, when I suppose kind of all settlers, you know, be, be it they Chinese or whatever, when, when they first came to New Zealand from England, from wherever, they really would have no idea whether or not they would ever see their homeland ever again, meet any of the people that they grew up with, and they go into something that a place that they know nothing about. They were pretty brave people way back those days, and why? To try and make a better life for not only mm. themselves, but those who came after. So that you know, I think that certainly I've got a huge amount to be grateful to my parents and to my grandfather because my grandfather came came here way back in 1910. There that uh, that they did that. But when you think of what it was that actually drove them to actually want to do something like that, mm. how difficult could life have been back then mm. to make you want to to go somewhere else to be able to make some money to be able to send back with the hope that someday you'd be able to come back yourself. And for a lot of people that didn't happen because the dream of making a lot of money and in, in the Chinese way called uh, uh, New Zealand was called Sun Gum San, which is New Gold Mountain. Uh, mm-hmm. th- th- that didn't. There was not a reality. Oh wow! So I'm just getting a little bit emotional because I think you've perfectly captured in words what every migrant parent thinks of mm. when they come to New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. Like I can just draw very strong parallels with your story and my parents' story. Um, yeah, it just makes me it's, very emotional. It's a emotional. different generation, but, but mm. it's, st- it's still very much the same driving forces that it there is. are things that are happening from where you came from that that drive you to think that, okay, I don't want this for um, for my children. Mm-hmm. I, I want to give them the opportunities that I didn't have, the sacrifices that they made to be able to give somebody else a different... Uh, uh, an opportunity, um, a different direction. You know, it's, it's. I, I suppose the history of mankind is is like that. But it's, but it comes back to the individual family. Uh, I think that mm. just the way that you th- you think about things and uh, and it, it makes it makes life kind of very precious. It makes relationships very precious. It does. We're very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I'm wondering. I've we've I've drawn parallels between my parents' story and your um, parents and your grandfather's story. Um, I'm just wondering if we can draw parallels as we're both technically first generation, like New Zealand born. Yeah. New Zealand. Yeah. Oh, technically I was born in um, Yemen, but I came to New Zealand when I was two years old, so right, yes. very very young. <laughs> um, but a lot of um, my friends who are also in the same boat. As me, just like first generation, and our parents have migrated here. Um, we're very yeah, grateful and we feel very lucky, but there's also a lot of pressure from parents to do well or to really excel in education. Like, there's a whole spectrum of emotions when it comes to um, our experience. I'm just wondering if I can draw parallels between ours. Like, was there, were your parents very like fearful of you guys losing your heritage or were they very um, adamant that education was very important and yeah what was your experience I th- like 
Well, I, I, the you know my parents were not educated people. My mother was illiterate. Mm-hmm. My father's knowledge of English was probably better than I ever thought it was, and I didn't realise that he could actually speak pretty reasonably good English until he was in hospital, actually, <laughs> because we only we we spoke within the home only in Chinese to our parents. So my mother never spoke any English at, at, at all. The expect and and we had a fish and chip shop, mm-hmm. which is kind of a takeaway place. And I suppose for me it was that if if you don't want to end up working in a fish and chip shop, you, you know you better study hard. Yeah. Uh, so so that drive in terms of education has always been a very I suppose Chinese thing. It's probably a very Asian thing. The expectation that the, the that life was easier if you were well educated. I'm not sure that's really actually necessarily the case. Uh, Maybe not always. so much now. It's, it's not, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it may not be as physically exhausting, but it's, it, it's, it's a challenge. The greater challenge, though, is, is the loss of language because I, sp- I speak Chinese because I was brought up speaking Chinese in the home. Was it Mandarin or no, Cantonese? Cantonese. Oh, so I don't yeah. speak Mandarin. But I never went to uh, – so I went to a Chinese school. Uh, as I was growing up, that helped a, a lot, and that was kind of classes after I went to kind of European school, mm-hmm. uh, and and I did that uh, for a few years until I got to about the age of about fifteen, I suppose. Um, so the loss of language and, and and the difficulty in being able to pass on culture because you. You don't learn your language when you go to go to school. So, do you speak? Is it Arab? Sorry, what, what um, I well, my parents in, speak Af Somali, and so right. I'm kind of half, half. Yeah, okay. It's, yeah. So, so you're reasonably fluent in that mm. because you were brought up with that. Mm. So they're probably thinking, well, okay, you may well be very well educated, but in your own language and all your customs, you. You won't know as much as them because they can't pass on as much as you, mm. as they know, and and because presumably you're not mixing with a whole lot of Yemenese people, it's that part of it is lost. And it was the same with me growing up because there was a small Chinese community. We were quite a close Chinese community. So it was right at school and, and outside the home we spoke English, at mm-hmm. home we spoke Chinese, and we were made to speak Chinese, which was an imposition when I was a kid. But looking back, that was probably one of the best things that, that actually happened to me because of the discipline mm-hmm. in, in, in being able to learn so that I'm lucky that, that my Cantonese is reasonable. So, so, because the expectation mm-hmm. of people is that right, you're you're from the Yemen. Mm. By expectation is that right, you should be able to speak your language mm. and know all about it. And if you and as the generations go down, that becomes harder. It does. So, so, I so agree. The, 
so that when I look at my children, I married a Chinese. Mm-hmm. I've got four children. Um, th- one of them now sp- speaks perfect Chinese, mainly because she works in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. The other three, who are all now in their 40s and 50s, speak virtually no Chinese. Their children, my grandchildren in turn, don't speak any Chinese. So, so yeah, there's a, that loss of, of, of language and culture. And that's the same, I suppose, with, with any migrant um, family where, where, you, where you are in a country where your own language isn't the dominant language. Mm, yeah, I definitely see yeah. it. Just even within my siblings, like it, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, I don't. We don't need another generation to know that the language is lost. Like I have yeah. seven mm. younger siblings, right? Um, and I'm the oldest one. And yeah, there definitely is a dilution effect when yeah. it comes yeah. to our language. So, so, so you talk to them with them in English. Yep, because yeah. that's all they really understand. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would go yeah. over their heads yeah. if I spoke. Yeah. So, so, so that there's a. I, I just I don't know what's going to happen in the future because in the past there was a very clear delineation you know that New Zealand was was a kind of a, a white country English was the language mm. now and and it's now called a bicultural country because the other language or the, um, Maori is te reo is is part of the 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 legislated languages mm. that the country speaks. But the reality more is that we're actually multicultural because of all the different ethnicities who are now part of what is New Zealand. Mm. So trying to figure out who the, who we are is is an evolving uh, the thing and and um and I don't think it's going to be easy you know, as, a, as a country to find out what is it, who is a New Zealander. In mm. the past, it was, it was I, very simple. They were, they were white, they were Presbyterian or Catholic or Anglican. Mm. Now, we're a diverse, multicolored or multi-ethnic grouping where Christianity... Is not necessary. Is not the only religion. It's probably still the dominant one. Mm. Uh, and so, and, and the habits of people are, are so different. And I suppose the, the best manifestation of that would be would be in our in our food culture. You know, oh, the gosh, reality yeah. is, you know, it, when when I grew up, the only people who knew how to use chopsticks were Chinese. Now everyone does. Now, now everybody, there are very few people now when you who don't use chopsticks. So the, 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 you, your food is so, so different. And, and when you look at Dunedin, you walk along that Edinburgh Way between Hanover Street and Frederick Street, or just past Frederick Street, the the diversity of eating places that are that are there—that's wonderful. Because when I was growing up there, there were a f- 
few Chinese fruit shops and all the rest were retail shops. There were no restaurants there at all. Well, sorry, there were a couple of restaurants, but they were all traditional kind of fish and chips, mm-hmm. very European or English foods. Now, when you when you look at the diversity of of of, of, of Korean, Chinese, uh, Japanese, uh, Mal- Malaysian, Thai, Thai yeah, yeah, there's a it, whole it, range. It, it's, it's 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 tremendous, and and then I think kind of food helps break down. The, the 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 differences that it it, it 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 kind of joins people together. It does, yeah. Because no matter where you come from, food is such a central yeah, part yeah, to everyone's yeah. and culture. And it's different kind kinds of food that you eat. It's not just just right. You know, if it, if it's not if it's not steak, I shouldn't eat it. Yeah, mm. it's 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 yeah, it's well, food to me is hell of an important thing. That's why. Me too. I could listen to you talk forever. You're such an interesting person. But we do have to call right, time so for this episode. Um, but thank you so much um, for honouring us today by being here and sharing your history and your story. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and so hopefully you can come on again, maybe, yeah. and digress I've some en- more. <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I enjoy just chatting. Good. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, you Peter. Um, right. And thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Take RFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and live streaming of Primo local content. Download the Access Internet Radio app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on RFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.